Salt Company. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Yeah, this side is more awake. All right. Listen, I, I'm Nathan Kolopek. I, I direct Salt Company just like an hour south in Cedar Rapids. Um, man, I feel like a weird uncle coming to hang out with you guys. Do you get that? Like, so, so Michael was telling the truth. We lived together in college, which means we have some stories that I cannot share with you guys. Um, but, but before Michael was full dad mode, like before he had stories about his kids, he was just a young man in love. You know what I mean? Some fellas, are you there, right? Just a young guy in love with a girl named Lissa. And one time, we, we shared the same room. We had some roommates like downstairs in the basement, okay? One of them decides that, that he is going to wrestle me, all right? And, and there's not, I'm, not, I'm not a big guy, okay? There's not much here to wrestle. This dude is gonna sneak in our window and come and tackle me, wrestle me, right? So I'm, I'm afraid for my life, right? I'm a, I'm a young boy in the night and I need some help. What's Michael doing? Michael is chatting up Lissa, okay? I don't know why he's calling her that late, but they're talking, they're, unpa- you know, just going through some stuff, communicating, okay? Good, communication's awesome. But I needed help. So I'm, I'm like in, in my room terrified, like I'm hiding, like this roommate's busting in to come get me and he's gonna overpower me. And I'm just going, Michael, Michael, help me! Michael, help me! So what does Michael do, right? He jumps up, runs into our kitchen, and then squats down and is still talking on the phone with Lissa the whole time. And Lissa goes, hey, hey Michael, is something going on? Like, Mike, does someone need help? And he goes, no, no, babe, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, babe. <laughs> so I have to run out of our house in the middle of the night to get away. Um, so that, that was young Michael Lisi, okay? That's, that's, the, that's the censored version of that story that I can share with you. Um, okay, so somebody say identity. Ooh, you gotta do better than that. Someone say identity for me. Okay, thank you. Identity, you've been talking about identity through 1 Corinthians, right? You've been talking about identity. Identity being who we are in a way that shapes how we live. Who we are in a way that shapes what we do. Identity. We're in a, we're in a wrestle for identity. We're in a struggle for, for identity day in and day out. Something, something really cool and significant is happening here. Right, again, let me be weird uncle for a moment. Guys, God is doing something crazy here. That this many students would, would come together, that you would come together and sing about Jesus and listen to people open up the Bible with you. That's not normal in the history of the church, that we would get to do stuff like this. That's not normal even for Christians today in the world, right? I hope some of you get to go overseas and experience with our brothers and sisters the, the fight for their identity in Jesus in contexts that are very, very difficult because they're, they're not allowed to gather like this. Even more than that, being a Christian for them isn't cool. It doesn't come with some prestige. Like they don't have a big crew to roll with. And I'm talking our brothers and sisters in China or, or Jordan or Mongolia or even England, right? All around the world, they don't get to experience what you get to experience here. That's not to make you feel bad, though, right? Like, don't feel bad that God's blessed you. Don't feel bad that he's doing something cool. But, but it's going to get harder in the next stage of life. Think about sharing the gospel now. You can roll up to someone on your dorm floor. You could, like, you could go to kickoff and, like, hold a sign and have 20 people, like, give you their personal information. That's kind of creepy, right? That strangers would give strangers their personal info like that. But that happens all the time. 
when you're in the working world, people, people might not want to hear about this Jesus jam you got going on. They, they might not feel comfortable with you bringing up your faith in the workplace. There, in fact, you might have a job, you might be in a context where you talking about your faith in Jesus would cost you, would cost you your job, and you got bills to pay. Why is it hard? Why, why is it so difficult in so many places in our lives? And here's, here's my thing, guys. I, I think you could go through four years of Salt Company here. You could go through four years of, of being in this ministry and, and actually learn the wrong lesson about your faith. I think you could be playing a game for four years of, of popularity or, or of fitting in or social status, having the right crew, doing the right stuff. You could learn the wrong lessons doing all the right things for four years and get into the next phase of your life and be dead in the water. How... How do we actually prepare ourselves for that? How do you actually learn the lessons God has for you now? Not just again how to fit into this room here and raise your hands at the right time, but actually have an identity that takes you beyond your comfort zone. That takes you beyond when things are, are easy and fun and you've got your people around you. That's what's at stake for us with identity. Paul tonight in our passage is going to show us how. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Open it up with me. We're going to do the whole chapter tonight. All right, buckle up. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and manager, managers or, or stewards of the mysteries of God. That's some identity language right there, right? Servant, manager of what God's got. In this regard, it, it is required that managers be found faithful. His identity drives what he does. It's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It's the Lord who judges me. He, he's saying, listen, just because I, I, don't, I don't think I'm doing too bad, that, that, that's not how I stand and fall at the end of the day. My identity isn't even staked on kind of what I think, let alone what you think. It's the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each from God. Pause there with me. He's talking about a time at the end of time when God is going to expose all of the motives, all of the heart behind all the stuff that we've done. Right? It, it, God is going to actually point out what was really going on inside of us all along, and that's where we'll actually get our praise. Somebody say judgment. One more time, judgment. 
Okay, judgment. That's a, that's a harsh word because often when we talk about judgment, we talk about people who don't have the right to judge. But at the end of the day, God, God will judge with a perfect standard. But here's the problem. It doesn't really feel that real sometimes, does it? Like this day of God assessing all hearts, this day of God looking at everything I've done, all, all the stuff in me, and, and him telling me what my reward is. As I walk through my day, I am much more concerned with what people around me, what they think of me. You feel that? I'm much more concerned with, with winning the little games I put myself into, how I stack up my, my popularity, my ability, my dress sense, because, you know, gray on black, it's pretty in. Saw one gal, yep, okay, we're matched up. We start to, to play these little games with ourselves. We start to, to set up these little games where we can win in judgment and something insidious happens. People's perception of us, people's judgments can fill our eyes so much that we can't see the real judgment coming. Day after day, we start to play these games with each other that, that we set the boundaries so that we can win to the point where, where actually reality, God's reality and his coming judgment doesn't feel real. Maybe you felt that today in class. Maybe you've been playing that game in your connection group. People's judgment can become so big that it swallows up God's real coming judgment. And so, so you can live your whole life with the wrong perspective and be surprised at the end of something you knew was happening the whole time. That's crazy. Okay, look, look at verse six with me. Paul's gonna keep walking us through this. Verse six, now brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos. Remember, the last couple messages, he's been talking about this wrestle that the Corinthians put him in. I've been applying these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. Just underline that in your mind. We'll come back to that. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? This is like sassy Paul coming out, right? Who, who makes you so superior? What do you have you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? They're boasting, they're setting themselves up so that someone is winning, someone is better. And as, as we walk through the weeks in this book, you'll find out it's, it's spiritual gifts, it's wealth and status, it's all kinds of stuff this church is dividing so that they can, they can always win whatever game they're playing. They can always come out ahead in their judgment and the judgment of their crew. Look at verse eight. You're already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. I wish you did reign so we could also reign with you. He's saying, look, you've won at all the games you played and if that was actually real, I would love it because that would, at least I would get a piece of that too, right? If you are really as, as successful as all the stuff that you've stacked up to try to, to build an identity for yourself, if that was reality, that would be so much better. I really wish you would reign, but not just in your own mind. Guys, we, we do this too. 
Like I said, I'm not, you know, this strapping young lad, okay? I've come to terms with that. I am not very tall. I am not very muscular. I am very good at reading books, okay? That's a game that I'm going to win, all right? And I was actually at, like, the, the nerdiest conference I've ever been to the last couple days, okay? I was in Chicago at something called um, the, the Conference of the Center for Pastor Theologians, right? Everybody's glasses look like this, right? Every single person had these glasses on, okay? And I couldn't win the nerdiest award in that room, right? There are dudes who've been working on their PhDs for like five years, like sweating and getting after it and reading Latin and stuff. Like, I'm not winning that game. But I'm watching them all go and like, well, so who did you study under? Like, oh, yeah, have you, have you read James and A.K. Smith, right? All right? Like, are you reading the trilogy right now? Just the condensed version, right? That was going on all the time around me, okay? I was, I was going with a guy who, who actually runs CST stuff in Ames. Bro is brilliant. And so I'm walking around in conversation, and he is name-dropping names that, guys, I have never heard in my life, right? And I'm nodding along, like, oh, yeah, totally, right? Oh, Van Hooser, you studying? Oh, cool, that's sweet. Van Hooser's a great guy. Yeah, Kev, cool, okay? <laughs> I find myself playing along, but here's what's going on in my heart. Let me, let me confess to you a second. Here's what's happening inside of me. I am also setting up a game that I can win against everyone else. I can't win the game of who's got the most letters behind their name, the most degrees, and studied in the most prestigious places. I can't win that. I live in Cedar Rapids, right? You guys ever been there? The smells of Cedar, like I love Cedar Rapids, but guys, some days, okay. I'm not winning that game, so what I do in my heart is I go, man, I'm so glad I'm much more practical than these guys, right? Like, man, I'm so glad I'm not so in the clouds like these guys. Oh, my. My glasses are round, but they're not that round, right? Like, <laughs> I'm doing this to everyone I'm around. I'm, I'm judging everyone and setting up games that I can win. And you do that too. You set up games that you can win. Well, my connection group is, is this big, and, and, and look at how big we've got it going. Okay, my, game's, my connection group's not that big, but we're authentic. We're deep. Oh, we couldn't go that deep if we were as big as you guys. Well, we, we have more fun. Like, we throw more parties than either of you guys. Like, we're, we're doing great. Or, man, I'm so glad I'm not as Christian-y as all those people, right? I can actually hang out with non-Christians. Even if, if maybe you're not a Christian in the room tonight, and you're coming in, you're going like, man, what is going on with all these people? Why are they bragging about this weird stuff like, oh yeah, do you read the like you version? Like, are you an ESV or you CSB, right? People are speaking a language you don't understand. Maybe if you're not a Christian tonight, you've heard about all of this stuff going on at Salt Company and you're trying to figure out if there's something actually real here or if it's the same games as everywhere else just with different clothes on. I don't know what game you're playing, but, but I know if you're anything like me, you go through your life setting the rules to these little games that you can win. You go through life setting up boundaries so that, so that you can come out on top in some regard. Or you've been losing at every single game and you're crushed. You've never met a game you can win and it's, it's sunk you. Maybe you're coming in tonight going... I'm a failure, and I, I don't know how this Jesus thing is supposed to fix that. Because I can't seem to win the games that everyone else is playing. I'm struggling with my disciplines. 
I, I don't know how to raise my hands at the right time. I don't fit in with this connection group I'm trying to go to. All of us are playing games like the Corinthian church, trying to get ourselves to come out on top. What does Paul have to say to a group of people like us? Well, let's keep reading and find out. Look at verse 9. I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. Like men condemned to die. Death row, that's where he laid out the apostles. We've become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. He's, he's not just saying I'm losing at the people game. Even angels are looking like, what is going on, Paul? Like, what is wrong with you, dude, right? Like, you don't stack up in any regard. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ, but you, you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we were dishonored. Up to the present hour, right now as I'm writing you this letter, we are both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. That wasn't honorable. That wasn't thought of well. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. We don't get to lash back. When we're slandered, we respond graciously. We don't get to win fights. Even now, look at this, even now, we're like the scum of the earth. Like everyone's garbage. Someone say scum. You guys know what scum is, right? You've been to a pond lately? It's that nasty stuff in there, right? It's not a good feeling to be thought of as scum. Don't know if you heard. Garbage. Paul is saying, us, the apostles, the guys that should be at the top of the heap, the guys that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, that Paul had an encounter with the risen Lord, he is saying, we were treated like garbage. We're not winning any of the games going on. We don't get to. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Did you guys get that? He goes, I am garbage and scum in the world. And oh yeah, imitate me. Like be more like me. Wouldn't that be awesome, guys? Like if, if more people thought that you were scum like me, wouldn't that be great? I, in fact, I'm sending Timothy just to tell you about my life so that you can be more like me. Is that good news? Well, that doesn't feel like good news, right? Like he says, I didn't write this to shame you, but I'm feeling a little bit like, I, I don't know, Paul. I, I don't know how to take this garbage language. I don't want to end up at the bottom of the heap. How is that actually good news for us? Even if I'm just temporarily winning at games, that feels a lot better than losing at everything. If I sent you home right now and said, all right, imitate Paul, garbage of the world, have fun, bless. 
right? If I walked off right now, that would not be good news for you. That wouldn't empower you to actually do the things God is calling you to do and to be the person God's called you to be. Just trying harder to be more like Paul, that's a losing game. And we don't like to lose. How is this good news? Look at verse 18. We're going to finish out reading this chapter. Paul says, now some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. And these, these false teachers, these people that were, were talking to the Corinthian church and setting up some of these games were saying, Paul can't show up. He can't, he can't argue back with us. Verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I, I, I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He, he, he's setting up something totally different than the games they've been playing. He's, he's setting up this idea. I, I want us to put it on the screen. I want us to think about this. He is telling us God's power is louder than the world's talk. Somebody say power. power. Say it again. Power. God's power is louder than the world's talk. And, and when I'm saying worlds, I'm saying the systems of identity and thought. I'm saying the games that we're playing and the rules we're setting up to win. For you, you might not be concerned about the, the wide, wide world. You might just be thinking of your circle of friends. I'm saying God's power is louder than your friends' talk. Whether they're puffing you up and making you feel good or, or they're putting you at the bottom. God's power is louder than the world's talk. God's power is even louder than your self-talk. Whether you've been beating yourself up for so long because you can't seem to figure it out and get it together, because your life feels like a, a series of, of messes and catastrophes, or you feel like a big deal and everything's been going well, God's power is louder than any of that talk. See, this wasn't just a lesson, this, this becoming the garbage of the world thing. That wasn't just a lesson that Paul made up, right? Because I, I need to confess to you right now, I, I'm playing a game. I want you to like me. I want you to rush Michael afterwards and say, Nathan's so great, he needs to come back. Like, I want, I want to set up a game where you think I'm a big deal. But if I do that, if I play that game, if I put on a show up here for you, if I puff my talk up really high, God is telling us there's no power in that to change you. I could be a, like a funny, winsome communicator, whatever. You could like me and still go to hell. I could talk my lungs out and my voice away and it could not change you one bit, even if you have a good time. I really want, I want to win at a game that I can make up for myself. We, we are all doing that right now. 
Maybe your struggle to read your Bible isn't, isn't just that you need to have more willpower and be more disciplined, but you actually need to tap into a real power that can change you. Maybe your struggle to share the gospel is actually the fact that you're so busy trying to win at the game of, of how many people you can talk to or whatever, and you're, you're actually sidestepping the power to share. Maybe that sin struggle that you've been hiding from your connection group and you can't share. Maybe the reason you can't share is because you've been so busy trying to win in the game and talk yourself up. You've been missing the power to change. Maybe the reason your family doesn't know about Jesus is because you care more about their talk than God's power showing up. I was telling you a minute ago, Paul didn't make this lesson up. Paul didn't invent this idea of, of losing at the world's game but tapping into God's power. He learned it from somebody. Jesus. Very God of God. Stepping into flesh. Being born in nowhere. Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth. No prophet comes from Nazareth. A carpenter's son. Not born in a palace. Not, not given all the prestige and the status. And even as you walk through his life, people misunderstanding and rejecting him. Dishonored. Slandered. To the point where they would say, he has a demon. Trying to heal people. He must have a demon inside of him. Jesus doesn't end his time on earth in acclaim and parades of people following him and loving after him. He ends his time on earth as garbage. Rejected. Outcast. Murdered for stuff he didn't do. Paul learned this lesson from Jesus. But you know the end of that story that as Jesus chose to lose at all of the world's games, God's power shone through. That what his death accomplished was more than anything else that we could do by our power. What he was doing was more than, than just winning a few temporary games, but actually, actually stepping in to cut off the judgment that we deserve. For 2,000 years, the world has been trying to shout down Jesus. They've been trying to, to make arguments about how he was just really a nice guy or, or, oh no, he was just a prophet, he was this other guy. They've been shouting down Jesus, but you know what shouts louder? The empty tomb. God's power on display through all of history, an empty tomb, silent, and defeating all the talk in the world. What you and I need in our lives, what we need to stake our identities on is not winning at the games we can make up around here. Most popular connection group, most disciplined in the room, most able to hang out with non-Christians, right? We need the power of God. And God sent his power to us through Jesus' redemption on the cross. That's what we stake our identities off of. So what does that do for you this week? How, how, does, 
how does that empty tomb and God's power actually empower you to live differently? How does that actually change you now so that you can, you can survive the next stage of life and more than that thrive? First, if you haven't experienced God's power, like genuinely listen to me here. If, you, if you've been so busy trying to play the game of being a good person, you've been trying to play the game of, of be a nice Christian and have it all together, I just want you to give up that game for a minute and recognize the fact that, that at the end of the day, when we stand before God and he shows the intentions of our hearts, you will not win. You won't. But what Jesus did was he, by his power, won all the accolades of heaven and invites you to have them. He invites you to actually enter into the power of God as an adopted son or daughter, as a new person. Alive from your spiritual death, you don't have to play that game anymore. Just accept the offer he's giving to you. If you've accepted that offer, if you're not along, like, yep, yep, okay, that was for someone else. I think the first thing that, that you and I need to do is repent of our games. When I say repent, I, I'm saying allow God by the Spirit to grieve you of the games you've been playing. To, to actually start to change you and make you dislike the fact that you're judging all these people and filling your eyes with games that you can win. To repent and to turn away from those games. You and I need to repent of those games because we know the end of the story and we know that God will judge the intentions of our hearts. We will not win. But in response, I think we need to focus on the power of God. Focus on the fact that the God of the universe loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he would step into your mess and save you. He loves you so much that in the middle of the games you've been playing, he's actually there with you wanting to change you. He loves you so much that he's not gonna give up even when you wake up tomorrow and start struggling with these games again. He's not gonna give up on you. If he sent Jesus to die for you, he's not gonna give up on you tomorrow or the day after or the week after or the year after. And so when you, when you come to a place in your life where you, you find yourself playing in the game, you, you turn from it, you repent and you turn back to God's power at work in you by his love that he would rescue you. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. God's power at work, not just for a moment of you getting a ticket to heaven, but actually to give you life with God. Life with God, there is more power in that than winning any games you could set up. We need to repent. We need to turn back to the power and then, and then we need to accept our weakness. Like you, you might have been nodding along for the last two, but this third one might be a lump in your throat. We need to accept our weakness. Because what was Paul doing? He was highlighting all of the ways where he actually wasn't winning the games. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he, he's had this issue he's been struggling with and he prayed that God would take it away and God says no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. It is enough for you for my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, I will boast all the more about my weakness so the power of God may, may rest on me. 
Now, now here's, here's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that you sidestep the world's games and construct nice Christian games, right? Like, I know the most Christian memes. Like, look at me, I'm sweet, right? Or I have the most Bible verses memorized, right? Like, like actually embrace your weakness in a way that highlights how strong your Savior is. Actually allow yourself to confess and repent because that doesn't define you anymore. Sidestep the games and take on weakness in a way that highlights how strong our Savior is. Because when we, when we repent of our games, when we focus on the actual power of God in the good news of Jesus Christ and the life we have with him now, when we accept our weakness, I think God is gonna do something amazing. I think your life is going to become a defense of the gospel that you're speaking. I think people aren't just going to see another group of people trying to make up games that they can win, the good Christian version this time. They're actually going to see the power of God alive and at work in you. Like you're going to roll through campus and the power of God is going to shine off of you. Not because you're a big deal. Not because you're, you're winning at all the games you're setting up, but because God actually loves to show his power through weakness in this world. Like Paul. Like Jesus on the cross. Like picking a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. Like the scum of society and actually making them his. What would God do with a people like us that actually let, let the games drop and let the gospel shine. I think more people would come to know Jesus. And I think in some regards, I would care less about how many people I shared with and I would celebrate better when they came to know him, right? I think you would actually find more power to be disciplined. Not because your discipline said something good about you, but because you loved the one and were tapped into the one that drove you to discipline. I think we would see a movement at you and I that, that you have never seen before. Not because Salt Company is a big deal or because you lead a sweet connection group or because you got it all together. But I think your weakness would highlight the strength of our Savior to save. And I think if, if we became that people, if we lived that out, we would, we would be shaped to make an impact that this world has not seen. I'm your crazy uncle. I love you guys. I am so, so excited to see what God is doing here. And I want to warn you, don't miss the power of God for the talk of the world in these years. Don't set up games you can win and miss out on the victory that Jesus won for you. Let's celebrate that victory together as we sing and we worship our Redeemer who showed up in power for weak people like us. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we come to you in weakness. God, I come to you tonight repenting of the games I've been playing.
I come to you turning away from, from trying to, to win an identity for myself that you're already offering. Spirit, I pray that you'd be convicting us in this room tonight, showing us the ways we've been trying to, to pit ourselves against each other and to, to find a way to stack up on top that you give us the freedom to step aside from those things and accept again Jesus' victory for us. And please let that victory be so sweet to us that we can worship and we can enjoy it because it is our new definition. It is our identity. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you loved us first and that you keep inviting us back in your love. We pray in your name. Amen.